Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, March 26, 2023 called, I Have Redeemed My Enemy, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints. God's grace is yours in Jesus Christ. So we're in these... Uh in the series on redemption, redeemed things, the way God redeems. Um, you know, it's interesting, I, in, in, I've been here in Pocatello just about 16 years now, and for many, for a number of years, first 10 years or so, I wrote articles in the paper. Does anybody remember that? I used to write articles in the paper. And you're legends. It's legendary. Um, and, um, and it was interesting doing that, and then I actually was involved uh, more with like the city council in which periodically... They would ask a small group of us pastors to come, and they'd ask some questions to us on various topics. And one time the mayor asked me to write a paper on a particularly contentious topic. And as a result of a number of those um, editorials and some of the articles and so forth that I've written, and this, I don't know whether this will surprise you or not, but over the course of those years, I received six death threats by email. So really interesting, just because of the positions that I had been asked to say, what's a biblical understanding of this, or what's a... And those of you that know me well enough, I'm not... I mean, Jack might say I'm snarky, but I'm not really. I'm not very edgy. I'm, I try to... In everything I say, we're all broken, and we live in a world that's hurting, and we, we got to walk humbly and graciously with one another. But if you're asking if this is, brings us closer to God or farther away, I, I, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, in that way. So it's tricky. I wonder, and, and it's only gotten worse, by the way, not the death threats, but I mean the contentiousness, the contentiousness in, in the culture, right? The polarization. In fact, you could, is this a true statement? Maybe not, and I don't mean it to simplify it or make it so simplistic, but we've almost gotten to a point in our culture where if you disagree with me, you are my enemy, right? I mean, we see it too often, maybe not always, but right? In fact, I find it so rare and it's so refreshing to me when I actually see an interviewer who will actually interview someone they disagree with, and you know they do, and they're honest about it, and they say, let's talk, and they can treat each other with respect. Boy, it's rare. Isn't it rare? Um, And you don't have to respond to this. This has happened to me. I've had one person formally, just one in my family, who has unfriended me, and I don't post I post nothing. In fact, I'm on Facebook maybe once a week just to kind of poke around. I'm looking for pictures of my grandson, to be honest. Um, but, I, um, but I don't. And I've had one per- I don't know. You don't have to respond. But I, some of you have told me about this, where family members or others have unfriended you. Or, and you know what we call it now in our, in our world? We call it cancel culture. Cancel culture. You're canceled. I will no longer interact with you. I will no longer invest the time to argue with you or to listen to you, right? I unfriend you. That's a, and it's common. It's just way common. It's even a temptation in the church. I have to guard against this. I joke about this with you sometimes. Like on Easter, when I was young, early in my ministry, like on Easter Sunday, where you have 1,200 people here, and I'd get up here and I'd go, you know, we do this every week. 
That was mean. Right? That's not... Now, I, I, it's been years and years since I've do, ever done that. Now it's like, man, I'm so glad to see you. I just am so glad to see you. Now, should I say more? I don't know. It, it, that's debatable. We can, and I do. I mean, you kind of try. But I want to read you something from the most, one of the most historic, seminal moments in our nation's history. You know, you hear phrases bandied about like, this is a threat to democracy, or this is the greatest threat our country has ever faced, or this or that, and it's attributed to, I don't know, Diet Pepsi or some foolish thing. This is President Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. And some of you who are students of history will recognize these words. It is only 700 words long. The whole, I won't read the whole thing. It takes three minutes to read. It's the third shortest inaugural address in history. It's interesting because now they last like hours or State of the Unions, things like that, hours, and they say like nothing. And this one, he says something. Because now we know, it's in, it's in, now it's in 1864, 1865, right, January. He's been reelected to a second term. The nation is in a tremendous civil war, a great civil war. You know the casualty count, right? Half a million Americans killed other Americans. And Lincoln says something daring that his political allies were angry at him about. Because Lincoln's address essentially is when this war ends, because now we can see it. And Lincoln's political allies were saying, how do we make them pay? We're going to deny them citizenship. We're going to deny them the vote. We're going to take their land. They're going to have to buy it back. They're going to have to do reparations. We're going to soak them dry because they were all traitors to the country. You get the, think, the reasoning, right? And that sounds fairly familiar in the language that's used today, isn't it? Here's Lincoln's words. It's at the very end, and Lincoln would have none of it. This shows the greatness of certain leaders that we have had over the, over the years, the greatness of certain leaders. I love this one line that's in the midst of it. He says, he's talking about the Civil War in North and South. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. Anyway, here's the last lines, and some of you will be, probably be able to quote this for me. <clears throat> and if I, I, I struggled in the first service, because <laughs> these words are so gracious, we don't hear gracious words like this. Certainly not in our public forum. With malice toward none, <clears throat> and with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. That's a great line, isn't it? We see through a glass dimly. As far as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who, have, who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. That's the thing. With malice towards none and charity for all, let us bind up our nation's wounds. <clears throat> so the gospel lesson for you today, and this is a pretty simple sermon. I preached way too long at 8.30. I think I got it shortened up for you a little bit. 
But there's, this is really an important topic. Because so far, the redeeming things we've talked about have been kind of easy ones. And that God is very kind to us and we need that and we're longing for that. This is a harder one. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who kick you in the gut and call you names and disenfranchise you and think you're worthless and send you death threats by email. Do that. And Jesus gives example number one. We don't grasp this. We take it for granted. The chosen does a kind of a neat job. doesn't go far enough. Um, Jesus calls Matthew in the gospel reading. Levi, Matthew. It's crazy. There is nobody more hated in that culture. They're called a publican, publicanos in, publicanos in Latin, the Roman role of tax collector. Do you remember in World War II in the concentration camps? You know who they put in direct supervision of the Jewish concentration Other Jews. Did you know that? They raised them up and gave them an offer. We'll give you a better bed to sleep in. We'll give you warmth. We'll have more food. And we won't kill you at the end. Now they did anyway. But that's what they promised them. And they were the ones with the whips and the beating and them guns but the ones who beat their fellow Jews into submission, and they were despised. Nobody was more hated than those. It's the same for this tax collector, Matthew. And that Jesus stops and says, you with me. It's unbelievable. And, and the chosen does kind of a neat job. I mean, the rest of the disciples are not happy about this. They are unhappy because he's a traitor. He's a parasite. I mean, you know how he made the money. Zacchaeus is another one. He's in there too. Jesus likes him too. It's crazy. And he's, and because the way they made money was the, the Romans said, here, you got to collect this much money. Whatever more you collect, if you can get away with it and they don't riot, it's yours. They were the richest people in every community. They were the richest people. And they were hated. You think Samaritans were hated? You think Gentiles were hated? Nothing compared to your own brother. Civil war. Brother killing brother. How do you treat that one who in the battle of Shiloh killed your brother? Who was your brother? Or your cousin? Or your father? How do you love that enemy? Here's how it happens. Because we're going to talk about Paul. And so I'm giving, away, I'm giving it away. You've all, we've already confessed it. We've already talked about it. We've already hinted at it. The only way, who's old enough in here? This is bad. I'm really betraying myself because he has no idea. <laughs> Who Pogo is. Pogo was a comic strip. And Pogo was a little, it was an opossum down in the swamps of the bayou of, of Louisiana. And during the Vietnam War, he made one of the great statements and essentially, he said very, very humbly, very powerfully, we have seen the enemy, and he is us. Here's how you love your enemy, is when you remember we were enemies of God too. In Ephesians chapter 2, I make this, I, read, I, I have my Life in Christ class go through this every time. We read it every time, first lesson. Because, you know, I tell, my, I tell my life, like new members and stuff, I tell them all the time, I said, you know, I'm not real interested in making Lutherans because I don't think God is interested in that. 
um, I'd, like you to, I'd like you to fall in love with Jesus. And you'll discover that he's madly in love with you. That's, what you, that's my hope. And by the way, I'm going to teach it like a Lutheran, so because that's what I'm taught. But here's, here, listen to this. Paul is writing to a church in Turkey, and it, it's a mix. Gentiles, Jews, pagans, right? Faith practitioners. As for you, he's talking to them all. As for you, how about this? This is a great way to start a sermon. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Mm in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right, the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. That's a hard one to start an altar call with, by the way, right? That's a hard one. But it, that's what Paul says to the church. In other words, here's the point. This is a pretty simple sermon in a lot of ways. Is this animosity we have with enemies, this cancel culture we have, this we and they. I'm going to say this again. You've heard me say it many times. You have never locked eyes with another human being that Jesus Christ did not consider valuable enough to die for. There is no other, no one. You've never seen another human. I don't care how they treat you. I don't care how they may curse God. In God's magnanimous wisdom and patience, he still walked that road to Calvary for them. And for you. And for me. Knowing full well the secrets of my heart, the thoughts in my mind, the rebellion in my soul, and my longing to know his, to know his love. And he revealed it. And he calls us. And so the, really the heart of this is we have seen the enemy, and he is us. And so, God does not, God does not, God has no cancel culture. God cancels no one. And I, and, and I guess maybe my law point on this is if God doesn't, then shame on us when we do it. So here's the things, because here's Paul. And you know the story of Paul, right? Saul, Saul, Paul, forgive me. Um, let's just call him Saul today, okay? He isn't given a new name by God, just to clear that up. In the end, he does it as an evangelistic tool. He's witnessing on the island of Cyprus, and he takes the name of the governor, whose name is Paul. He's trying to win friends and influence people. Hey, if I take the governor's name, maybe he'll become a follower of Jesus Christ. It seems to work, so okay. So anyway, so Paul, Saul, he's named after the first king of Israel. So here's Saul. He's after them Christian people. In fact, he's the guy we know, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, who is stoned to death for claiming Jesus' divinity and seeing the heavens opened and confesses that he sees Jesus standing in glory at the right hand of God. And Paul and his fellow Jews are incensed, so angry, they obfuscate all Roman law, and in defiance of Roman law, they execute Stephen by killing him with rocks, hitting him with rocks, okay? They're just so angry, foaming at the mouth angry. Paul is still so angry that he then goes to the religious leaders and gets a warrant for arrest for any followers of Jesus Christ that are in Damascus, as he's heard, there's a nest of them up there, and he wants to go and eradicate them. So he goes with his crew, and it's not just dudes, it's women and children, too. Anyone who are followers of the way. That was what we were called before Christian. 
So he's on his way, and then we know how the story goes. Boom! Shaft of light. This is like God is saying, no far, no more, idiot. I'm done. You're done. And so wham! Blinded, shaft of light, right? Who, you know, and he's going, Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you catch that? Do you hear how personal that is? How personally God takes that? You're persecuting me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I follow you. I'm really religious. He was so religious. He was like a Pharisee. He was so devout, so religious, top of his class, very religious. What do you mean? I love you. I honor you. I'm like the only one that really does. Why do you persecute me? And then he says, who are you? And then he gets that great answer, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Knock it off. Doesn't say that. But he gets the message. He's blind. He's taken into Damascus three days. That's a long time to be blind. We haven't been blind, wondering what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? For us, after three minutes, we're like, okay, I'm done. Three days. Then God goes to Ananias. Isn't that a great scene? I love that. I love that. I just thought of something as we were reading it, Chris. It was great. So he goes to Ananias. God says, Ananias had a vision. And he says, hey, Ananias, yes, Lord. And he says, there's a man on Judas's house on Straight Street. He's praying. You need to go to him. His name is Saul. And then it's like, is there another Ananias you're asking to do this? You know, or have you been keeping up on the news? <laughs> This is the guy who came to arrest us. You want me to go to him? What do you want me to do? You can baptize this guy. He's joining the team. This is the guy on the other side. He's joining the team. And so God's pointed with him. Go. Go now. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. He's going to be my appointed instrument to bring the gospel before kings and before the Gentile world. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's just an amazing story. But we, we can relate to Ananias, can't we? What I think is missing from the Ananias story, and it's okay that it's missing because it's honest. It's honest. Because Ananias does not count himself in with Saul, does he? I'm a good guy. I'm on the good team. He's on the bad team. And God's reminder to Ananias needed to be, yeah, you were on the bad team once too. And I brought you to here. I'm doing the same thing with Paul. That's, that's big point. That's big point number one. What's point number one? God wants everyone. I mean, this should go, it goes without saying, doesn't it? But I'm afraid we don't believe it or act like it. I mean, God wants the people that are pretty nice and sort of reclaimable. Right? If we can clean them up a little bit, it's all good. God could clean me up. You know? It's like when we come to God and say, well, yeah, God, I just need a course correction. No, he doesn't. Heart transplants. God is only interested in heart transplants. And so, and so that's the first thing. God, is, God wants everyone. And Paul acknowledges it. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He's talking to Timothy, a young pastor. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In other words, all of us. No one is canceled by God, point number one. No one. Second, God wants everyone, even me. Secondly, it's fundamentally an identity problem. With people who have been enemies of God, it's how do you find identity? And not just in yourself. Part of it is self. Who am I? But Paul asks the question here, who are you? 
Because clearly, Paul expects affirmation from God for what he's doing. Don't you think? I'm a champion for the right, and here's God. Kapam! Who are you? I can't possibly have gotten this wrong. I'm Jesus, the very one who you're persecuting. So one of it is, one of it is, is fundamentally identity. Who is this? If Jesus is just a good guy, he's kind of someone you go to or advice once in a while. You know, this is someone who's a wonderful moral philosopher, radical, progressive, changing the world, turning the world upside down. You're way off. That's nothing. He's the Lord Almighty, and he's the Lord of all. And so it's fundamentally identity in terms of who he is, and then secondly, who are you? Ananias had that problem too. You know, who is this guy? Who am I? And so when we see, you know, like Ananias, do you know who this guy is, God? And so this is a question of identity. Who am I? And Paul acknowledges it. Chief of sinners. That's who I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Therefore, it says something about Paul, and it says something about him. Enemies of God. And third, here's the other thing. Transparency is key. Here's a third point. Transparency is key. I, I, I find this interesting. When Martin Luther was going through that great turmoil of, you know, he thought God was angry with him all the time, and he couldn't find a loving God, and he was just in angst all the time. Infectung is that, you know, that German word, infectung. And so he was constantly in turmoil. And he would say to his father confessor, uh, Staupitz, and he would say to him, I, he would just give him all this angst in the confessional booth and everything. Uh, you know, is it right? I, I feel terrible. I think God hates me. I think God hates me. Um, and he said, and, and what's interesting is Staupitz says to him, oh gosh, now, I'm, now I've got my words mixed up. You may have to help me. He says, um, Staupitz says, you're not, you're not being honest, is what he says with Luther. Oh yeah, God is not angry with you. You're angry with God. And it's interesting, you have to get to that transparent and honest moment. Now, let me give you an example. I'll give you two of them. I said I'd preach shorter, didn't I? Well, sorry. So yesterday, thank you, by the way, community of faith. Thank you for praying for me personally. It's been a, it's been a challenging week. There have been some challenges this week. And uh, yesterday we did a memorial service, and they may be watching online. And it was a joy to serve Chris and Mark and Laura, the Tatum family. And, and they experienced a loss. John passed away. And Chris and Mark and, and Laura, wonderful faith, just wonderful, vibrant, standing on the promises of God. And we talked about that. But it's an interesting moment because John never gave any in, in evidence, outside evidence of saying he, he wanted anything to do with it. And so how do you do a service like that? And I do these periodically. They're not easy. I am telling you, they are not easy. So thank you. Because what I feel compelled to do is when I stand there, because people are not stupid, and I don't like playing the game or doing the dance. So I'm like, so here I am. They've already talked about John, and they've done all that. And I stand up there, and I go, I'm guessing that some of you have in your mind 
So what's the pastor doing talking about this? Because it's ironic, because I don't know if John would have wanted this thing here in the church anyway. So what's the question? In or out? Is he in or out? Good to go? What's the standard? That's what I said. So you have to be honest. I'm huge on this. You have to be honest. You can get nowhere without being honest. And so I'm trying to be honest, and I said, so I'll tell you what I don't know. Thank God I'm not God. I'm not in charge of that decision, and I'm leaving that in the hands of God. But let me tell you what I do know so that those of you that are still here can stand on it in the days to come. Because in the days to come, you're going to need it more than ever. I know who God is. I know my condition. I know how much he loves me. I know who Jesus is. You see what I'm saying? It's being honest. You know why the enemies of God often become so, are so animus? And especially against the church. They've been lied to. They've been lied to. Like, get this. Somebody dies and you go, oh, and you hear this all the time. Oh, it's so wonderful they're in a better place. Really? How do you know that? So what do we do? We say what we know. I know who Jesus is. I know God is good. I know God is holding me in his hand. I want you to be held in his hand too. That's what I want. So I'm going to proclaim the glories and mercies of God. And so anyway, it's about being honest because people have been lied to. They have been lied to by our enemy, but also to themselves. And so being transparent is the key. I love this about Paul. He goes walking into churches and says, yeah, I was a hot mess. This is who I was. As the chief of sinners, I persecuted the church of God. I was a great student. I was top of my class. I'm a nobody in the eyes of God, except he made me what I am today. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And God is honest with Paul. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. So people don't just follow Jesus Christ because, oh, great, all my problems are gone. <laughs> yeah, right. We follow Jesus Christ in large part because we know that God is present with us in those trials. Because God walks us with us in those times of isolation and hurt and loss. That's why. It isn't that we pretend they go away. How naive are you? What are you, five? The hurts of this world are hurts, and they're real. And God chooses to walk with us. Fourth point. The other one here is, with enemies of God, faith is a journey, links in a chain. Way too often we fall into this thing, like you may have somebody who's fighting hard against God, and you may think you're the only one who can save them. By the way, you can't save them. Not a one of you is Jesus Christ. Having said that, we have all been given by Christ the promise of the hope of eternal life. Every one of us. And I said this just in my Bible class you know, I consider it one of, the, one of the most unfortunate quotes in history, St. Francis of Assisi, who said this. He said, um, um, share Jesus at all times. When necessary, use words. People, nobody reads the testimony of the gospel on your, tattooed on your forehead, okay? Paul says it far more clearly. How will they know unless someone tells them? How will they know? And so I love this piece. Faith is a journey, a series of links in a chain. And sometimes you are a presence, and sometimes you are a promise, and sometimes you are a proclamation. And there are different people along the way that do that. But when God gives us the opportunity to proclaim, that's what happens. And it did not happen like in a heartbeat for Paul. It didn't just like that. Three years, did you see it in there? Three years he goes off and studies. I think we almost imagine, well, you know, like the next day, there he is leading the seminary. 
You know, um, it's not how it goes. He goes in and gets trained. It's a journey. Faith is a journey, and it calls for patience. It calls for trust. We saw that with the blind man in John chapter 9. He starts off by, he's healed, and they say, how did you get healed? I don't know. It was a dude. It's that guy called Jesus. And then the next thing he says is he's a prophet. And the next thing he says is he must be from God. And then the next thing he says is he's the son of man. And then finally he says he's Lord and God and worships him. And there's a journey of faith. So if you're still on that journey, take hope, take heart. Keep journeying because Jesus walks with you. Last thing. I love this too. You know, it's kind of a miracle that two of our greatest allies in, this, in, in the world geopolitical scene is Germany and Japan. And that relationship goes up and down over the years. But isn't that interesting? If you know your history of World War II, like I was telling the story of my father-in-law who fought in the South Pacific. And he, when I took Teresa to Japan, it was the hardest thing. He told me later, it was the hardest thing ever. Because he had been taught, you know, they have to teach you. If you enter into war, they have to teach you you can kill that other human being. So in other words, you have to dehumanize that other one. That's just the technique. I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just telling you how it was. But he said, so I had been taught all this stuff about the Japanese, and here you were hauling my daughter off to Japan. And he thanked me. We'd spent hours and hundreds of hours in a boat fishing, mostly talking and not catching much. But he would, we would sit there and talk, and he thanked me once near the end of his life. He just said, thank you for doing that. And he said, it changed my heart and my mind because you were loved by those people, and my daughter was loved by those people, and we brought back with a different testimony that these were not our enemies. You see, no person you ever look at is your enemy. We got an enemy called sin, death, and the devil. That one, Jesus Christ, is defeated. There are ideologies. There can sometimes be other things, but not people. Because God did not see you as an enemy. God saw you as his friend, the one he redeemed. Children of God, restored and renewed. And so God isn't about crushing our enemies. God is about winning them, just like he won you. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.